0: Colossians 1, 3 through, excuse me, 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, in the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we have heard your words, and we ask by your Spirit we would be able to discern your heart for us today. And most of all, Lord, we look towards you to know the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, a couple of years ago, I read, a, I read a really, really good book called Endurance written by Alfred Lansing, which is a uh, documented Sir Ernest Shackleton's incredible expedition across the Antarctic. In 1914, Shackleton and a team of explorers set out from England to do something no one had ever accomplished before, and that's to cross Antarctica from one side to the other across the South Pole. Disaster struck when the, the team's ship, called the Endurance, became trapped uh, in ice and eventually sank when the hull was crushed by ice. Baroon, marooned on a nearby island called Elephant Island, there seemed to be no hope for their survival. In a es- desperate effort to get help, Shackleton and five uh, men from the 20 put uh, put together a boat, a boat, a lifeboat, and uh, it was about 20 feet long. And they went on a journey, a storm-filled journey, on an 800-mile trip to South Georgia Island. Uh, those waters in, that, in in that area are considered to be the most dangerous on the planet Earth. For 15 days, the men battled the treacherous seas and the massive storms, waves that grew to be over 100 feet high. Using only a compass and a sextant, Frank Worsley, the captain, navigated their course until they safely reached the island that they looked for and found help. Shackleton secured another ship, and he went back and rescued all of his men. He became a national hero in England, for his courage and perseverance. In many ways, Shackleton's dangerous journey is reflective for all of us as we make our way through the stormy seas of the fallen world that we live in. Ever since the first sin in the Garden of Eden, fallen humanity has struggled to make wise decisions in their journey through life to know the true meaning of life. The only way to ensure that we don't go astray is to have an objective source of truth that will guide us. Just as the compass and the sextant can guide sailors through the dark, uncharted waters, God's Word can guide us through the uncertain and difficult circumstances of life. But we must trust in God's Word, over our feelings, over our wisdom, over contrary advice from other people. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul writes, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Because the word of God, the Bible, the holy scriptures are inspired, it is without error, It is the truth of God, and we can always trust it. Amen. This morning we'll be looking together at the inspired Word of God, specifically in a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, which is in southern modern-day Turkey. Um, Colossians is a deep book, a rich book, probably, I would say, his best letter which holds within it the great truths of who God is and who Jesus is. And so today, not only does Colossi need to hear that, but so does Port Alberni. This is true because we are all born into sin, which means the temptation to trust things that are not of God is a naturally strong emotion that we feel. The times we live in offer us a plethora of things to trust in other than God. And none of us in this building is so secure in your faith that you do not, to varying degrees, become influenced by the world. All of us end up doing those things. The book of Colossians is about trusting in the right things. Or to be exact, the book of Colossians is about trusting the right person in Jesus Christ those in the church at Colossae had fallen under the influence of the world, and they were trusting in other things than Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul sat down and wrote them a letter to point them back in the right direction and set them back on the right path. Most likely, this wasn't an easy letter to receive, as correction rubs against the grain of our pride. But for Colossians, Christianity... In their day, it was a minor religion. And their faith ran counter to the values of the the culture. And they were struggling to hang on to the hope that they knew in Jesus Christ. Sounds familiar? This, too, is our struggle. We, too, live in a culture that values uh, things in life that are things of prosperity or security in hope In things other than God. Now we know, I pray we know, that what is offered to us outside of Christ is inadequate. We also know that when comfort becomes our God, when individualism overshadows broken surrender, when we trust in people or positions or possessions over our all-sufficient Christ, that our hope will fade into despair. Only our hope that we can have in Jesus will get us there. Amen. At the time this letter was written, there were serious threats going on in the church. A garbled mixture of theological error, a blend of Jewish and Greek secular beliefs was threatening the body of Christ. In such an uncertain spiritual atmosphere where different religious ideas compete against each other, there's an indication that there's unrest in the society. It indicates that people have lost their bearings as to what is true and what to believe. And we see that today in the same conditions that Paul is talking to in the Colossians. We, We, in these days, are assaulted on every side by untruths and false teachings and personal opinions claiming to be truth. Paul's letter to Colossae and to to Port Alberni clears that up for us. In the opening verses of Paul, emphasizes the word hope and a marked contrast to the hopelessness of his day. In the midst of domestic terrorism, political and social division, moral and spiritual decline, these things are the hopelessness that mark our world today. Even among Christians, we see unholy lifestyles, loose sexuality, financial struggles, broken marriages, unhealthy relationships, conflicts, and division. The glory, the passionate joy of God has faded in the lives of many Christian folks. This was the case also in Colossae, when Paul wrote to them. They too were living hopeless lives according to the standards of the world, until Paul pointed them to the right place. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. few things to note here first. When Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, he is not pridefully establishing his authority over those in the church. He is instead telling us that he did not choose this position, that God called him. He was chosen by a sovereign God to be set apart and empowered by Jesus Christ for the ministry of leading God's people through their struggle with sin and into obedient surrender to God's truth in the midst of all the controversies in the church. Paul then greets them, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. The word saints here literally means holy ones, meaning that not only was Paul set apart, but so are those in the church set apart for God, exclusively for God in the midst of all the struggles of life. Our Lord called Paul to be an apostle, and he calls and chooses us to be his followers. What's interesting here is Paul speaks uh, of faithful, faithful brothers. He, he rarely uses this term, faithful, in terms of people. So what we see here is a hint of the struggle that's going on in the church. People were believing strange ideas, believing their own interpretations, drifting from biblical truth, and in the midst of that, Paul encourages them, encourages them to be faithful, consistent, humble, focused on God's word. We see that in Colossians one ten, when Paul says that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And in verse twenty three, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope. Of the Gospel that you've heard. Paul emphasizes this even further when he addresses those in the church as brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. Now that might not see a big thing or feel like a big thing, but in the original language the Greek says in Colossae, not at Colossae. And you say, what's the difference? But what Paul is saying here is that as just as the Colossians were living in Colossae as saints, holy and separate for God, they are to live, first and foremost, in Christ, in Christ, in Colossae. What does it mean to live in Christ? To live in Christ means Jesus lives within us. To live in Christ means Christ encompasses and has authority over our entire life, our hearts, our minds, our souls, our strength. To live in Christ means Jesus determines our behaviors and our priorities in our beliefs in our place in life. To live in Christ means we are inseparably joined to Jesus and no other. To live in Christ means we are joined also into a new family, An eternal family, a holy family, where there is no conflict or division. To live in Christ means we do not live in Port Alberni. We live in Christ. Where are you from? In Christ. Paul speaks of this in Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself to me. Paul then writes, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Though corrective in nature, Paul intends this letter to the Colossians to also be the means of God's grace to them so they might see the error of what they were knowing and doing and saying and repent and joyfully be reconciled back to each other and to God. He also wishes them peace, which is a traditional word, shalom, that we know, which reflects harmony and wholeness with God and with each other. Notice Paul acknowledges that grace and peace cannot come about by human effort. It says, from God our Father. The image here we have is, grace and peace flowing into us, through us, through and from our sovereign and merciful God. And Paul is exhorting God's people to seek God's grace and God's peace in times of controversy, in times of struggle, in all situations, all circumstances. Jesus is our grace. Jesus is our peace. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. We see in these verses, Paul brings forth the three foundational, crucial concepts which are foundational to life in Christ. And those three concepts are faith, love, and hope. He mentions these concepts in other parts of uh, the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 13, he says, So now faith, hope, and love abide in these three. And the apostle writes that also in 1 Thessalonians, We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This verse also reflects what we see in Galatians when Paul says we give thanks to God, thanking God for the faith and for the love. Who he is the author and the giver of those things. And he is also the head of all of our hope. We always give thanks to God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. The faith he commends to us is a faith in Christ Jesus, not a faith in a person or a program or a church, but faith in Jesus. This is not a faith that's to be possessed or believed, but a faith which is a vibrant force of the Holy Spirit that is expressed in the way that we live our lives. We read here that, as we do throughout the Bible, that we are to live out our faith through a mutual love for one another. And the love that you have, it says, he says here, for all the saints. So those who are in Christ are not solely united, you know, like in our church, for the mutual interest of individual salvation, but we also have this mutual interest in being knit together in mutual love with each other. That's what Paul's telling us. Jesus talks about this in John 13. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you have love from one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Hmm. In these words of God, spoken through Paul, we read that hope is the source, the foundation of faith and love. Colossians, they had faith, they had love, because of what? Because there was a hope laid up for them in heaven. What makes this interesting is that, for some reason, we have come to believe that hope is grounded in faith, in that we must have faith to have hope. But God's Word formulates that very differently. God says that such faith is grounded in hope, not the other way around. Hope is not so much a personal expectation, it is an anticipated, objective reality. Hope here refers to something hoped for, Something that's outside of ourselves, and that something is what? Laid up for you in heaven. What is the hope, the anticipated object, reality, that is laid up for us in heaven? Paul doesn't say specifically here, but he does in Titus 2, when he speaks of waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to us, excuse me, for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. He also says this in another way in Colossians 3.4 when he says, when Christ who is your life appears, you will also appear with him in glory. And he says it even more shorter in Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, hope of glory." What a logo, Hey, eh? What a battle cry. The reality, the reality of hope is, for us, is the crucified and risen Jesus Christ living in us. The crucified and risen Jesus Christ living in us. That's our hope. Jesus, the Son of God in whom all things were created, the firstborn among the dead, living and breathing, and at work inside of us. Think of that. The creator of the world, the one who went to the cross, is working in us at this very moment. For those in Christ, whether in Colossae or Port Alberni, this implies that we should be in a constant state of being changed, of being transformed into the image of God that we were created for, until we ultimately will fully know and realize the power of the resurrection when we die someday. Our hope, the resurrection of life, eternal life after death, which is laid up in heaven, is from outside of us, and it should be working within us in Christ Jesus. And our hope is also the resurrection, eternal life after death, which is laid up in heaven, from outside of us, we will someday fully realize that when we die in heaven. So two things are going on here. Faith and love are rooted in the hope that we have in Jesus, the hope that he's working within us, and the hope also that it's laid up for us in heaven. In John 14, 1, Jesus proclaimed, Let not your hearts be troubled. And in Matthew, he said, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is the hope that is awakened by the truth of the gospel. It is the good news that right now, brothers and sisters, wherever we are in life, whatever we are facing, in our moments of of weakness and struggle and pain and anger and despair, Jesus is the hope within us. And it's waiting for us in heaven. So we might be forgiven and redeemed and restored back to God, when we surrender our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is the hope of the gospel that awakens faith and love. Faith allows us to to act upon hope. Faith means we believe Jesus is with us. Faith steadies our spirits and strengthens our wills so we're able to go on and take on whatever comes to us. In Christ, we can love despite whatever pain or struggle we are experiencing. We have all known what it means to have someone to come alongside of us in times of trouble. So for us, our hope, our assured hope in Christ is that someone who is coming along us is Jesus Christ himself, the creator of the world, the sovereign God of the world, the Lord of glory is with us. And our hearts are not troubled, troubled, whatever comes our way, because Jesus is always with us, working in us. Now, Paul tells us that we know this is our hope because of what? The word of truth, the gospel. The gospel is objective. It's, it's, it's real, way beyond our human understanding. The, the Christian apologist Dorothy Sayers once said, the test of any religion is not whether it pleases us or makes us comfortable, but whether it's true. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ true? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ real? Does does the word of truth, the gospel, do what it says that it's supposed to do? That's the test. And the greatest thing about the gospel is it does work, amen? It does deliver people. It does save people. It does heal people. It does transform lives. And the word of truth is still doing that today. This is what um, Paul writes here of this you have heard before in the word of truth the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world he says it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth he says it's it's, it's still working still working the word of truth the gospel is, the true, is, is true and effective because it is bearing fruit and increasing throughout all the world. Just like a, a tree without fruit would no longer be a, a fruit tree. So is the word of truth the gospel, the gospel if lines lies are being changed. And many would argue that in this age of individualism and of uh, entitlement and of pluralism, that the word of truth has lost its ability to bear fruit. It seems that way because the truth today is becoming relative and pragmatic and even among Evangelical Christians. For many Christians, the biblical truth has been abdicated by personal opinion and individual preferences, but Professor Robert Wenthau, who teaches sociology of religion at Princeton, has said that spirituality is no longer true or good because it meets absolute standards of truth and goodness, but because it helps me get along. That's my truth. I am the one who judges truth of its worth. If it helps me find a vacant parking place, I know I'm on the right, right track with God. If it leads me into the wilderness, calling me to face dangers I'd rather not deal with, then it is a form of spirituality that I am not likely to choose. Brothers and sisters, we must acknowledge that we live in a predominantly secular culture, and we are under constant and powerful pressures to conform to the views, beliefs of the world. And we, as the God of people, the people of God, are fading fast when it comes to truth. The church is not taking the world by storm because we're too much like the world. But we must remember that Paul's context was no less, no less than ours. The problems and pressures we face are the same ones that he faced in these these days. In his days, the Greeks and the Romans were normally tolerant in their attitudes towards religions. They could make room and accommodate for a mixture of numerous gods and goddesses because they believed there were many gods and goddesses. But even then, in the context of followers of Jesus, we we stood out back in those days. They were different back in those days. People could see it because of their unswerving allegiance to one God and to how different they were in passionately and sacrificially living their lives for Jesus. So they were persecuted for the rejection of worldliness and idolatry, and they were rejected because they claimed an exclusive truth, rather than the culture itself prized tolerance. Sound familiar again? The God Paul worshiped, the God you and I worship, is not subject to our opinions. Or our will. He is not one God among many gods. Our God is the one and only true God who acts in history, who makes history, who acts on your life, who acts on my life, who acted distinctly. Everybody's awake now, right? (laughs) Amen? Amen. See, there we go. I should have a button right here. (laughs) God himself acted distinctly in the midst of that culture through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only hope that we have in this world, brothers and sisters. In Ephesians 1, the word of God tells us, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purposes of him who works all things together according to his counsel, so that we who were the first, here it is, to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. The greatest argument for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a new heart and a transformed life. In Christ we do not search for truth. We start with truth. If we are to produce the fruit of love and faith, we must be thoroughly rooted in the, the word of truth, the gospel of the hope that we have in the risen Jesus Christ. The hope we possess in Jesus Christ is our confident expectation that God will fulfill His promises and not our personal dreams. The truth is, the hope of salvation that we know in Jesus Christ cannot be found in this world. In this world. A fallen humanity in a fallen world offers no hope. But the truth also is that the hope of salvation we know in Jesus Christ doesn't just lie outside of this world. The truth is, the hope of salvation we know in Jesus Christ lies within us. We've seen that. For today. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And also the hope beyond us into tomorrow, the hope laid up for us forever in heaven. The hope we have in Jesus Christ is the power to live out our lives today, tomorrow, and forever, despite distractions, situations, or circumstances. The situation circumstance of the Colossians was... Pretty familiar, should be to us. They lived in a world that opposed them, challenged them, demeaned them. But the truth of the gospel is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is our truth. He is our hope. God has called and chosen us to be set apart for those things. This place is our corner. We've been chosen for this corner to live out that hope. Christ is with us in this. I'm with you always. In our battle for the truth of the hope we have in Christ, God's Word tells us in Ephesians 6 that in all circumstances we are to take up the shield of faith of which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and and supplication. Hebrews 4 reminds us that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account." Because God is who he is. God is at work at this very moment right now in us and in heaven. Our God is a God of grace. Our God is a God of peace. Our God is a God of faith. Our God is a God of love. Our God is a God of truth. Our God is a God of hope. God sent his word into a broken, fallen world through Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He has set us apart to be faithful conduits of his grace and peace in this world that we live in, a world that just seems to be constantly more violent, more divided. He calls us today to take up the truth of the gospel. And through our faith in Christ, by our love, in the way that we love one another, to live out that hope that we've been promised in Jesus. Constantly bearing fruit and increasing for the glory of God. About 20 years ago, while I was in a mission in the Philippines, I visited the Manila American Cemetery. The cemetery is 152 acres Of gently rising ground set aside to memorialize the military dead who served there in World War II in the South Pacific. The cemetery is laid out as a almost like a never-ending circle. 17,206 marble crosses have names engraved of the brave dead. Crosses that stretch out in circular rows. They come from every state of the Union in the United States, as well as from Panama, Guam, the Philippines, Puerto Rico, Australia, Canada, China, England, Mexico, Costa Rica, Honduras, Finland, Jamaica, Burma, and Peru. Twenty in twenty cases two brothers lie side by side. As I as I pass through the sign, the stones and reading the names, I at some point felt felt the weight of pain and the emptiness of of war. It just overwhelmed me. I wondered how many loved ones had been able to visit the grave of those they lost in this such a far away place in the world. Yet as I prayed, I remember feeling the hope of Christ uh, Lift me above that cloud. Because on each grave, there was a cross. On every grave, there was a cross. It is the cross that covers sin. The cross that brings life. It's the cross that gives the hope of the resurrection. It is the cross that promises new life. And one day, those buried there, who are brothers in Christ, who lay in that cemetery, they will rise together into the hope laid up for them in heaven. And my prayer for us is for those of us who are alive, we will rise side by side someday too. And I pray that we would live out, clearly live out, our heart and our hope in Jesus. I'm going to close with scripture. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me Christ in you the hope of glory father we we bless you for being a good god but also a, a gracious and loving and glorious god a god who sent his son to the earth to pay the price the God that gives us hope in any and every situation, the God who at this very moment as we are in this room has put Christ in our hearts and is working within us. Lord, I ask that you'd bring us together through that, that we could shine as a light in the world that we live in that is so full of heartache and violence and war. So we give you our hearts, we give you our faith and our love and our hope and we look forward to what you have for us even in this day. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.